This is a fitting song for today because it's one of the best days of the year, weather-wise, that is. Um, I'm glad you're taking some time to listen to us here today. Welcome to the podcast edition of the show, which is on Q105 every single day from 3 to 7 o'clock. Um, we have an extremely prestigious guest on in just a couple of minutes. And oh boy, did I screw up today because I think my... I knew that I put it in my calendar. And I swear, does this happen to you on your iPhone? Like your calendar eats things? This was too important of a guest to look at my calendar and go, after an email, that's today? So I had to move around a couple of um, alcoholic guests. Uh, We'll bump them to next Wednesday. So as we can usually continue the theme of Wednesday of having a great local community guest. Um, As I just told somebody earlier, I went over and visited the Toledo Animal Rescue and got to see Steve and Faith. Remember the dog who we raised about $10,000 for her to have the eye surgery? I met Faith today. Please check Facebook. I'm sorry for the really scary tease. Um, But I met Steve and his crew over there and we got to talking about Dave Gerke. Dave Gerke, as he will tell you, is the most famous person I could ever possibly get on this little piddly podcast. He can have that title. The most prestigious person outside of, I guess, the mayor a couple of years ago, but that was when we were still doing the show on the air, but podcast only, um, judge of Lucas County Common Police Court, Lindsay Navarre. I missed the 13 ABC story uh, back in February, but I, I am a, an avid Blade News Slide reader. It's free. I read it every day. I share out stories. I, t- I find out tons of great things from all their great writers, including their new president of uh, their union in Candy Corn, the great Sarah Elms. But back in April, there was a story about uh, Judge Navarre looking to create mental health court. And I read this and I was like, Alex, do you know about this? Because you know that Alex and I, as you were mostly aligning with the views that Alex and I share, we're big fans of going... A lot of criminals have mental health issues, and most criminals have some kind of mental health issue, severe or something that just happened in a spurt, Um, or there is some kind of systemic issue that pushed this person to commit some kind of crime. Nobody has sent us nasty emails about thinking uh, in that perspective, so um, the pinnacle of that perspective and the person who can probably push that effort the most is the person sitting on the bench. So please let me introduce for her very first podcast ever, Judge Lindsay Navarre. What do I call you? You can call me whatever you'd like. You can call me Lindsay. <laughs> I can't believe a judge just said those words. Come on now. <laughs> I'll, call you, I'll call you Lindsay. How about that? <laughs> that sounds good. If you were in my courtroom in front of me, I'd require more formality. But I think this is a little less formal. So what in the courtroom do people have to call? Is it his honor? Is it her honor? Judge? Judge, your honor. One of those two works. So um, my co-host, and I guess some of you know, she couldn't be here today. So here's a little secret. I either forgot to put you on my calendar or my calendar ate the the uh, the schedule. Oh, and thank no. God you emailed me. So I had to blow everybody off and we'll do a drinking, <laughs> drinking podcast next week. But this is, you're, you're the most esteemed and prestigious person we've ever had on the podcast. So we're glad oh. to have you. Well, that's a lot of pressure, Eric. <laughs> um, but uh, my friend Alex, Alexandria Thomas, you know her a little bit because you're on the MPI board, right? Yes, yes. Awesome. Do you know any, not that I'm trying to like 
show off or anything, but do you know anything about me? Well, I did um, download a couple of your podcasts, but I will tell you, I hope you're not offended by this, that I did not before you called my courtroom. No, totally fine. I just just like to grab a baseline, but um, I'm a big mental health advocate. I've spoken uh, a lot of the challenges I've had uh, on the the radio over the years and and work with a variety of groups like Alex, Lucas County Suicide Prevention Coalition. Um, So I have a big mental health network and that's why when I, uh, and I have obviously known your name. I mean, who we remember the signs from 2016, right? Oh, well, that makes me feel very good and happy that that hard work left an impression. <laughs> it did. It did. Are you originally from Michigan? No, I'm from Toledo, born okay. and raised. Okay. I only left. I left for three years to go to Butler University, which is in Indianapolis. Sure. Um, but came back here for law school. So. Well, uh, I've been on the bench now for what, about... Call it four years, five years. Let's let's see. Yeah, four years, almost four years. Um, we can just dive right into this. So I have a big mental health background, and then when I I didn't see the thirteen ABC story from back in February, but I did see the Blade article, and I know that you had mentioned that. So the mental health court is not a thing yet, but we're we're trying to move forward with this initiative. That's I guess your your brainchild, right? Well, I can't take a a mental health court is not my brainchild because there are over 40 specialized mental health dockets throughout the state of Ohio. So I can't I have not created the wheel here. Um, Just looking to borrow from it and bring it to Lucas County. So, yes, it is. It's my initiative in Lucas County, along with a whole host of community leaders and other judges who think that it's something our community could benefit from. We, we've we had uh, a lot of really great, transparent, and forthcoming discussions, especially over the, the last year. Um, for all the things that have happened across the world, we've had good dialogue, there's been some bad dialogue, but at least we're having the, the dialogue. And the, you got to have the painful things so that we can move forward. Um, and I've kind of fallen into this over the last, like, maybe the last eight to 12 months that when I, when I really peel back the onion layers of thing of things that people do, it seems like in so many situations, um, there is some type of mental health issue, uh, in many people who commit varying levels of crimes or, and if not that it's some systemic issue, which in some ways we can tie into, into mental health. So while I'm all for people being punished for things, they, for things they do, um, we also need to understand these people and it seems like you and I align in that thinking and that's what, what mental health court is. Well, I think you've touched on something really important here because sometimes we'll encounter very well-intentioned folks who have this mentality of just lock them up and throw away the key. Right. But um, if we take a few steps back and if we're all on the same page that we're trying to achieve long-term community safety, then how do we do that? Because I'll tell you how we don't do it. We don't. We can't jail away problems. You can't lock away mental illness. Um, Two million people with mental illness go to jail in the United States every year. Twenty-four percent of inmates booked in the Lucas County Jail screen positive for serious mental illness. Um, When people 
go to jail. They don't have access to medication that they usually treat with. They don't have access to mental health treatment. Um, They lose any stability that they had prior to incarceration, job, housing, relationships, community support, and that inevitably leads to higher rates of recidivism and what I call an unproductive recycling of these individuals through our criminal justice system. So with that background, if we take a step back and we all actually care about long-term community safety, then that looks like really addressing these underlying root causes of criminality, which like you've said, is oftentimes untreated mental illness. And I'm just going to stop right there. I'm getting a lot of feedback. Would it be better if I took my earbuds off, you think? Uh, you can try, but then you might not hear me. Oh, okay. That wouldn't be good. <laughs> no, no. I, it, sound, it sounds perfect on my end. Okay. Is, I'll is, just try to ignore what I'm hearing. Then. Okay. Um, yeah, everything should. Everything is clear on, on my end. Actually, if I, if I hit that button, go ahead and talk a little bit. It might sound worse. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, that is way. Yeah. Um, All right, we'll try to get through this and anything we can do as we're communicating to make it easier, I will certainly do. Um, Let let me ask you this. I I saw the 24% in the 13 ABC story. Do you think the number is more? Uh, And you said serious uh, mental health issues. I know the numbers that resonate, uh, that we share when we do NAMI stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, One in four people have some type of modest... uh, I'm sorry, one in... I've gone over these numbers so many times now I've forgotten. One in four, it's some type of depression, anxiety, something manageable. One in five have a more serious thing like schizophrenia or or something that really uh, is debilitating in their life. Do you think the number of the people imprisoned, it is higher than 24%? I th- You've brought up something important. The The screener that is used, and that's a more recent project that was implemented um, on behar- on as a part of what is called the Behavioral Health and Criminal Justice Committee, and I'm the chair of that committee. Um, so there's a screener that everybody who's booked into Lucas County Jail, it's a list of questions that they're asked, and that's where we get this information. But that targets serious mental illness. So we're not talking about, you know, mild depression, anxiety, those types of things. So, yes. I do think that the number is higher if we're going to talk about broader issues with mental illness that maybe aren't what can be classified as severe and persistent. Sure, but something is still likely there. Someone can be in a state of anxiety or mania. And this is, and I don't know, like the how the brain works fascinates me and all that stuff is way over my intellect so i just try to speak in general broad terms but why people do things especially bad things is fascinating to me um one that jumps out that it was the 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 guy who was who graffitied the church then went back the next night and tpd gunned him down um that was a man in a in a bad state of mind and you talked about how how do we prevent that well we help people um, instead of just imprisoning them, and it would be, it would be. I think you and I would both agree that, like, we would prevent things like that, and we never want to get there, so we don't have to put those people in the ground or in jail. 
100% absolutely. And everybody's safer for that. The yeah. police who are patrolling our streets are safer. We in our neighborhoods are safer because, you know, it, sometimes we forget that when we're talking about our community, individuals who commit crimes fueled by mental illness are part of our community too. And we can't leave them out of that equation because they leave behind broken sad families when they are in these fits of untreated mental illness, when they're in jail and their health and their mental state is deteriorating, when they're sent to prison. Um, you know, we leave behind a trail of brokenness if, if we can't get on top of this and provide resources to lead them to a path of recovery. I've never, I've never leaned toward any kind of criminality. I, I say that, you know, no one should ever sell me a gun, not because of the harm I could do that would wind up on TV, but because I, I would put it in my own mouth. Um, and I thankfully learned early on in my mental health journey exactly what you said. If I take my own life, I there's a lot of emotional shrapnel that flies for people that love and care about me. And that's basically my calling card when I speak to people like, don't end your life because you will inflict pain on others. And it, like you just said, I think we've seen a lot of that with the opioid crisis, um, the, the collateral damage of grandparents having to take care of kids because their parents suffered a deadly overdose. And I think, can, can you talk a little bit about how drugs and mental health are, are intertwined? Well, I don't have the statistic in front of me. Like you said, when you deal in these sorts of topics, uh, the acronyms and the percentages get kind of lost sometimes in the mix because there are so many of those. But I will tell you that it's the great majority of people we see churning throughout the criminal justice system who have these comorbidities, you know, the um, substance abuse along with the mental illness. And it's Sometimes we ask ourselves, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, did the did the drugs bring out an underlying mental illness that someone didn't know was there? Or did the mental illness fuel the self-medication and the drug abuse? Were they just coexisting in, in the body together? We don't know, but we see it so often together. And a big inspiration for me in this journey to a mental health court in Lucas County it was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Judge Ian English, but he's one of my colleagues in Commons Police Court. He runs a mental health court that's been recognized statewide. He is changing people's paths in life. It is so inspiring and effective um, what he does for our community. He does it with great humility, very little fanfare, but it's really, really important work. Good, because I was going to ask you just that. Um, how does the idea of a mental health court um, come across to your your colleagues? Because it, it's a, we've had a really, if any, there will be positives out of the pandemic. One of them is that people who were like fence sitters before about, oh, you'll just you just rub some dirt on it. You'll feel better. <laughs> just, just feel better. Yeah, I'll flip the switch and I'll feel better. Where people are embracing taking care of their mental health. Um, so it's much more a dialogue than it's ever been before. So are people in in what you do and who you interact with embracing the idea or are they calling you kooky? No, my colleagues are tremendous. They are progressive thinkers. They are problem solvers. They are true public servants who all genuinely want to do better for our community. 
Um, so they very much embrace it. They support this idea. They support me. Um, really all of our community leaders and our elected officials. And in Lucas County, we're very lucky to have some forward-thinking leaders and partners. Um, the, the biggest problem, to be honest with you, and, and kind of how I got to where I am, is um, you know funding and resources. Sure. Because this is something that is that has to be certified by the Ohio Supreme Court, and you have to have certain things in place in order to launch a specialized docket. And just because I don't want to talk in this, you know, like insider courthouse lingo. So just, so you know, a mental health court docket is they're pe- They are people. These are defendants who are already in felony court with us in common pleas. We've identified that they suffer with some severe persistent mental illness and could really benefit and our community could benefit from having more intense supervision. And that's what a mental health court does, as opposed to them just coming in throughout the course of their case until they're found guilty and we put them on probation. When they're put on probation, a part of that is being involved with the mental health court. And that means they come in sometimes multiple times a month, maybe weekly at the beginning, and you have a whole team of treatment providers there on that mental health court day. And everybody meets before the defendants come in and you talk about each individual one and you say, what's going on with housing for Joe? You know, has Joe been showing up to support groups? Uh, How's Joe doing in dropping screens? Is he dropping clean screens or is he using drugs? Um, So it's just this wraparound comprehensive treatment approach that not only holds defendants accountable, but holds, you know, everyone kind of holds each other accountable. You're coming to the table at the same time saying, like, we're really dedicated to the success of the in- these individuals. How are we going to work together to achieve that? Um, so stepping back, when I started getting the um, whole certification ready to have a mental health court in Lucas County, I was forced to closely examine what exists now for defendants in our criminal justice system who have serious mental illness. And I can tell you we have a great probation department. We have tremendous, effective community mental health agencies. But this intersection where they come together to both supervise and treat criminal justice-involved individuals with this mental illness, that was lacking. So I said let's put a hold on what we're doing with this mental health court because we need to strengthen the foundation on which this mental health court is to be built and we need to fortify from within. And that meant addressing that intersection between defendant supervision and mental health treatment and that cooperation between agencies in order to provide this wraparound comprehensive access to treatment and services. So we did launch an initiative with Unison locally, and we named that the Felony Fact Team. So um, this is kind of a precursor, a very, very important precursor to the mental health court. How, when you've interacted with the public or you've gotten feedback about someone who did something awful or heinous, like the, the lock them away types. Have you gotten really negative feedback or have some doubters at least heard you out? I would say, well, 
unfortunately haven't gotten to interact with many people other than my family and my dogs for the past year. But um, when I do get the opportunity to talk to people who maybe have that mentality, I think I don't, there hasn't been a single person who said to my face that you're full of it. Like you're wasting your time because they understand at the end of the day that we can't just lock everybody up. That's not as a society, how we work. And even if you, think that we should lock everybody up we can't pay for it right, <laughs> so we kind of <laughs> we pay for, like in a sense we pay for that as taxpayers right 100 percent, and it costs twenty five thousand dollars a year to keep a person incarcerated and it costs two thousand dollars a year to provide that same person with mental health treatment in our community so just from a fiscally responsible point of view this makes a lot of sense not to bring in the the moral and ethical obligations here to people well you can you can true and this is where if my advice to you moving forward is make uh find someone who maybe became a finished product because to stretch out your or your point of this is how much it costs to to jail this person rather than like let's build joe up like let's fix joe and now all of a sudden joe works at your local home depot he is a functional member of society he helps you rather than you paying for him to live in an eight by eight cell which sounds mm-hmm. better to you Al in Perrysburg, because mm-hmm. the guy that's participating in society after we've rebuilt him sounds a lot better than you complaining on Facebook how the city and county keep taking your taxes for people that, you know, some say awful things about. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the math really works out pretty easy for me. It's just got to be explained and maybe ex- give people examples of place these people that have re- been rebuilt by some of the mental health courts that are happening around the state and is there a model around the country in maybe a more progressive place that we can model this after there are some really good models actually within our state in different counties and jurisdictions throughout our state and those are some of the judges and the elected officials community mental health agencies that i've talked to and really modeling what we want to do in lucas county after that um, are, even though we are in a state that has a Republican supermajority, um, we actually have some pretty progressive leaders in our Ohio Supreme Court who are driving this change. Um, under our Chief Justice O'Connor, she's really pushed specialized dockets throughout the state. She's pushed looking at you know a, a different way to treat people in our criminal justice system so there there's hope across the state there is i know sometimes it's it's hard to see that (laughs) but there there are also some leaders nationwide of course there's a judge in um, south florida his name's stephen leafman and he's been a trailblazer and and really a source of inspiration for dealing with uh, defendants with mental illness in our criminal justice system. Is there a felony, and maybe when you're reading stories from across the nation, you process it through the mental health filter and how how you might deal with it in your court. Is there a felony or a crime that someone could commit and mental health is probably the reason but you would have a you'd really have to test your moral compass knowing that they did something awful but this disease was behind it yes and this might be controversial maybe not but um 
people who abuse children, specifically sexually abuse children, I, I think that that's driven by some kind of very specific mental illness. But in my 15 years in the criminal justice system, I've never seen anybody cured of that, quite frankly. And I think they pose a tremendous risk to the most innocent members of our community. So I have a pretty hard time not aligning myself with the lock them up crew on those cases. It's amazing. It's a great example because you don't sound like you go on social media much, right? I am not a member of social media. <laughs> Good for you. There are no pitchforks and torches in your house. But any, you're, you're right. That is maybe the hottest button of all things. I mean, kids, babies, animals. Like, I've been very upset with, there's been very upsetting animal stories late. And I'm like, hang those people. Um, but yeah, kids are a hot button. And the, the social media mob wants these people castrated, dead. And I get it. it it's... They think of their own children, but somebody, somebody just didn't wake up and go, I'm going to sexually abuse children today. Like something in, in a much more, in a tamer way. Thank God more schools have began to look, why is that person bullying all these other students? And instead of suspending that kid, they're diving into that kid to try to help that kid. And again, much more egregious and, and just volatile way, like, Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to abuse or rape or whatever to a child. Something happened to that person. Now, I'm not saying that person should skate from punishment. And you probably can't cure that person. But putting them behind bars for the rest of their life, again, it's your taxpayer money. You're paying. You can have, maybe that person can go do something else. But putting them behind bars is, it's not going to help that person. You can We can certainly separate them from society somehow, but perhaps in a less penal way. But I, I, we're probably talking like 2050 before people can come around to that kind of thinking. That's just a, it's a really hard topic because, you know, for me, if I'm talking about people who, who, let me give you a good example of a case I had, um, a defendant who had very severe persistent mental illness. We're talking schizophrenia, uh, untreated, a, a really wonderful supportive family, but he was an adult, you know, so they couldn't, hold him down and force meds down his throat. And when he was unmedicated, he lashed out in a violent way. And he had already been to prison a couple of times, for instance. Um, he was at, I think, a local Rite Aid. He had he grabbed a Snickers bar. He was on his way out the door. And the security guard said, hey, you got to pay for that. And he punched this woman so hard in the face, he broke multiple bones, you know, her nose, her orbital bone under her eye required surgery, horribly painful recovery. Um, when that guy is treated, when he's on his meds, when he is interacting with his supportive, wonderful family, he is a productive member of the community. But when he's not, he's really dangerous to the community. So that's one of our riskier cases where, you know, as a judge, I'm kind of tensing up, like, I know if we can get him on those meds, and we can get the community support in place, he can be a really productive part of our community. And I want that for him, but I don't want him to hurt anybody. Sure. No one wants that. 
But on the flip side of that, the the people who abuse kids, I've just I've never seen what we can do to them other than locking them up. And I'm not a I'm not a lock someone up and throw away the key kind of person. That's not my ethos. But um, I don't know. We can't fix them. I've seen people go through years and years of treatment and counseling, and then come out ten years later and abuse another kid. And it's it's. They're just do, so dangerous. Do you know what it's like? And, and I will I will never throw this out into to the internet at all. And Alex and I have broached things carefully because we've had more latitude here on the podcast, especially where people very much align with what we think. And we've dabbled things out there like, hey, don't look at criminals as criminals. Look at them as people who have broken brains. And But I will never dive into the child abuse opinions that I have because to those people, and again, I don't know the science or psychology of this. I'm a layman. But you know what? Telling Frank not to to what we call sexually abuse or at least be attracted to a child would be like telling me to not look at beautiful women on a beach in bikinis. It's it's just the way your brain works. And you're right. We, We haven't found... It would be like trying to cure homosexuality or me liking pizza. You do what your brain tells you to do. If, if Frank uh, realizes that to have his freedom, he can't be attracted to children, he might just say, put me away because I, you, I, I can't stop that. My, that's what my brain is telling me to do. Yeah, and a greater part of the, the tragedy that is these cases is that so, so many of these individuals um, I, I think had their brain broken because they were horribly victimized. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's just like the bully situation. Yeah. Um, and I know that we don't look at those people like that because again, they have violated children and it takes someone like you and your colleagues um, to look at offenders and criminality almost through a completely different spectrum because for, I mean, I remember, I think we're probably around the same age. We learned as kids that, you know, you go to jail and, you know, you get reformed and you come back out as a productive member of society. Well, that was a big lie. Yeah. <laughs> for, for centuries, we've just been throwing people away in jail because they did bad things. Um, and now hopefully before the end of this century, we can look at it as a different way. And like we've already talked about, instead of wasting taxpayer money, let's use it better and build back a better human being. If we can, we're not always going to be able to do it. Like what we've already talked about with the kids, but you can, you can rebuild people. The brain is, you know, neuroplasticity. You can rewire the brain. You absolutely can. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's a balance to be sure, because at the same time, we still need to protect our community. So it's a constant balance. It looks different in every case and every scenario. But, you know, with dedicated people in this system, I agree with you, we can do that. And it's, it, I just have to touch on the fact that you said when we were kids, you know, you thought they we sent prisoners away and they came back shiny and new. And I, I laugh every time <laughs> I say the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. If you take the the corrections part off of that and just say Ohio Department of uh, Rehabilitation, like, oh, like, so if somebody tears an ACL, they fix their knee. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Like, thankfully, you know, I, I, I was a pretty bright kid and you probably were too. And you get to be like eight years old and you ask your mom and dad, you're like, where's the rehabilitation part while they're in jail in these movies that we're watching? Because that doesn't look like they're making better people. It looks mm-hmm. like a, a perfect, in fact, we could talk about this for a second. And I do want to wrap up with some fun stuff. In fact, we probably make people worse when we put them into certain, in these prison conditions. We undoubtedly make them worse. And I actually say that, unfortunately, because sometimes you try and you try and you try and there's no option other than prison at the end of the day. And that's a really sad day for me. I don't ever enjoy sending anyone to prison and taking away their freedom like that. But I say to them, this is not going to make you a better person. So when you come out, you, you, you and you alone can choose a different path moving forward. Um, what podcast do you listen to and enjoy and how as a judge do you find time to listen to them? Well, my, uh, drive in on, on work, my drive to work and back from work every day is when I do my podcasting. Generally speaking, I'm a religious listener of the daily with the new, with the New York times, Michael Barbaro every morning. Although he had some he had some crutches that got a little irritating. I forget what they were, but every day during the election season, I was in on the daily too. Yeah, so I do the daily. I've done that. I've been into that probably for the last four years or so. I do the the slow burns, all of the seasons of slow burn. They did like a um, David Duke one that was really interesting. Um, one about like Monica Lewinsky and the Clintons. Um, I'm trying to remember what the other ones were. What else do I listen to? Sometimes I do like the armchair expert with Jack Shepard. I like that one. Um, I do, gosh, what else do I listen to? I just downloaded fate or fact, which is like, a. um, it's kind of going to delve into how we devolved as a society into not believing in science and facts <laughs> so that sounds interesting uh, the last the, I think the think the uh, the answer there is President Trump yeah, well, <laughs> that's a whole, that's a topic for a yeah. whole different podcast isn't it <laughs> um, I, I remember the Michael Babaro thing I'm gonna do my Michael Babaro uh, impersonation Are you ready I'm ready mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. there's a lot of mmming like all everybody in broadcasting has some kind of crush and crutch, and his was that. Mm. Right. Mm. <laughs> or repeating the repeating the answer back and then re. But no, it was it was it was invaluable during um, election season. Right. Agreed. What does a judge's day look like? So it it it's looked a lot different over the course of the last year because I've actually been doing Zoom court almost exclusively for a year and you know since it took me like a full 10 minutes to figure out how to connect <laughs> my bluetooth to my computer you can imagine how easy of a transition that was for me <laughs> but um we've made it work because you've just had to make it work right um I have dockets every Tuesday. I have criminal dockets. So that's when I call between 25 to 40 criminal cases for different reasons. Maybe we're doing a plea hearing. Maybe we're doing a sentencing. Um, Maybe we're just checking on the status of a case. 
So I spend all day Monday preparing for that. I do docket on Tuesday. Um, I do a lot of meetings. Nobody told me how many meetings I have <laughs> as a judge. So That's everywhere in meetings. life. That's everywhere yeah. in life these days. <laughs> What's, so w- would you say that that's your least favorite part of, uh, of the job, the meetings? I, gosh, I don't know because I'm still kind of like a starry-eyed optimist. So I think that we, we do accomplish some important things not always, but right. many times in these meetings. I, um, I, I can envision you going under your breath or on your phantom social, social media accounts. Well, that could have been an email. Yes. <laughs> I hate meetings that could have been emails. That's for sure. What's your favorite part of the job? Oof. Um, really promoting and pushing policy reform that I'm passionate about and that I believe in. I kind of joke sometimes that um, when I'm at meetings, like, gosh, you guys, I've been saying these things for a decade, but (laughs) apparently I had to become a judge for anybody to listen to me. (laughs) Um, If only you would have been on social media, because that's really where all the laws and policies get changed. I hear. I've yes, heard. Yeah. Yes. Thank. Thank. Thank <laughs> God. Thank God. We saw. Thank God. One government center saw that meme. Now we can change things. <laughs> well, I have to say, you know, speaking since our theme is mental illness, getting off of Facebook is probably the most important thing I've done for my mental health over the course of the last four years. If I didn't do what I did and I did something else and I didn't have to be on it, which it's hard to find a job these days to not be on it because it's it's actually a form of currency. Um, right. I, I would not be on it. And at this point, um, the the platforms, the big tech that's every now and then in, in the discourse, they're not great. They could probably do more. I don't know what the, that more is, but it's the people that cause the problems as for all of history and I do think that they are a net negative as much as I've built some pretty great relationships and friendships um, with people over the years that I have never met. I would say that for the most part, they are a net negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just it was for me really affecting in a negative way my personal relationships with people. And I was having a hard time. Um, leaving those stupid things they said on Facebook <laughs> out of how yeah. I interacted with them. So I needed to move on from it. Two last questions. And this has been a great time, so thank you. One, when um, when you watch court TV shows, what gets you out of your seat saying, that's completely ridiculous? <laughs> like, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, you know, I I try not to do that because it really takes away from my enjoyment. But you're right. I certainly do it. And I was, I think, watching. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it. It's escaping me. But there was this great limited series on HBO with Nicole Kidman. I loved it with Hugh Grant. It was incredible. Did did, did you know the whole time? Did you know that, like, he he did it? Like, kind of, because it, it... only made sense that he did it and evidence kept mounting but you're like there is there going to be a twist at the end or is it just going to be the obvious conclusion here um it was still good nonetheless but when they were in court i was just like oh this is this is ridiculous 
that's he can't say that he can't ask that question <laughs> so um there were a couple of things there and my husband was just like chill out it's a show like why do you always do this <laughs> Uh, the Undoing. It was a it was a great series, and it was like the pinnacle of uh, like a Law and Order episode because it just had you going back and forth and until the very end. When spoiler, he did it. Um, but mm-hmm. like, great, that's a great example. Not to to carry this on much longer, but he was a sociopath. He was a narcissistic sociopath, which is a mental health diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So again, gotta punish the guy because he did an awful thing. But that's a guy with a broken brain because people don't really act like that. Right. Uh, last question is, did you enjoy this? Your first ever podcast appearance. I thought it was lovely. It just felt like I was talking to one of my friends. This is what we do. This is this is what we do. Um, you know, traditional media is, is narrowing. So I endeavor to kind of make this, you know, the go-to for lots of Toledo things. Um, the important the bad, uh, the really good, the new places to eat, and we talk about our personal lives. And um, I'm, it seems like you're a, you're a fan of Alex. She's she's my best friend, and I'm so delighted to have met her a couple of years ago to help her with the uh, Wellness and Recovery Center. Well, they are doing such great things there. I can't, um, I, I just boast about it all the time when I'm talking about the innovative things we're doing in our community in terms of mental health, and that's a really important one. And Alex is their fearless leader. So we're so very thankful for her. I saw that uh, uh, the city is looking to hire some people for Jawan Armour's team of violence interrupters. And I know people like kind of mock or laugh at the name, but hey, say what it is. And I emailed uh, Ignazio and I was like, you don't have to hire her, but Alex is an invaluable resource that could help this this group of people because it's, again, it's a different way of approaching crimes and things that have plagued society for a long, long time. And it's going to take a long, long time to change minds. But if you put the right people in place, someone like yourself with mental health court, we can make the change a lot faster than waiting for our great, great, great grandkids to say, they don't put anybody in jail anymore. This is so cool. Yeah. It's, um, we need to do things differently. We've, we lost the war on drugs a long time ago. I'll tell (laughs) you that. Um, we're unfortunately losing the war on guns because I've never seen more guns in our community than I see now. So we need to do things differently. Yeah, because you're, you're absolutely right. Because what's been done, uh, what is my dad? My dad stole Einstein's line. Keep doing what you're doing. You keep getting what you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Judge Lindsay Navarre, this was awesome. I'm glad you had a good time. I endeavor for people to enjoy themselves because we just sit here and talk on the podcast. It's so much fun. I'm going to make sure I subscribe. So I'll listen to you and I'll listen to Michael Bobar on my way to work. And maybe I'll listen to you and Alex on my way home. Split just, it up. Rem- just remember. Mm. Mm. <laughs> now you're ne- now you're never not going to hear that. And it's going to drive you nuts. Well, here's the thing. My best friend who lives in Chicago, she's the one who turned me onto the daily. We had an in-depth discussion about it. And I basically just said, I love Michael Barbaro in spite of all of his hmms. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of, it's endearing to me now. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And and you can hate listen to some things, but um, it's it's funny for as as tech averse as you are, podcasts (laughs) are a big tech thing. So there's a little dissonance and dichotomy there. 
there there is and I'm in a generation where I'm supposed to be embracing technology and and I try to I just I think the problem is is I'm a perfectionist so when I kind of fumble around with it at first I'm just like oh forget it go back to the old way but I guess the lesson there is I just need to stick with it so far as I know there is not a uh a famous celebrity TikTok judge. So I don't know, get a court clerk <laughs> or an intern and have at it. Oh goodness. I'm not even going to go there. Um, well, let me know. It was so weird. Like I, I thought I had to like email like an assistant or a court clerk or an intern and they're like the bailiff. I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, but let me know. You're welcome to come back on anytime, and we'll uh, we'll have Alex here. And anytime you want to have a discussion or you want somebody to talk, hopefully I've proven myself a little bit with how I think about mental health, and um, I'm happy to help you out in any way that I can and talk about and push your efforts. So uh, let's connect again in the future. I would love to. It's been so nice to meet you virtually. Hopefully we can meet in person someday. Please tell Alex I said hi. I will. I will. Well, thanks again so much, and we'll talk soon. Okay, sounds good. Thank you.